Welcome to the Plant Spirit Podcast on connecting with plant consciousness and the healing wisdom of nature. If you'd like to learn more on how to communicate directly with plants, visit www.learnplantlanguage.com to register for the free workshop. That's www.learnplantlanguage.com. I'm your host, Sarah Artemisia, and I'm deeply honored to introduce our next guest to the show today. Lucy Jones is a qualified medical herbalist and owner of Mirobalan Clinic, a busy high street practice in Somerset, UK. Prior to qualifying in Western herbalism, she earned two degrees from Oxford University and studied Tibetan medicine with the great master Kenpo Trorutsenam. When treating patients, she combines Tibetan and Western approaches to treatment in her practice. She grows, gathers, and processes most of the herbs she prescribes, and she's the author of Self-Sufficient Herbalism and a Working Herbal Dispensary, both published by Aeon Books. So Lucy, thank you so much for joining us today. So excited for our conversation. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. And likewise, I'm very excited. I always love to have a chance to talk about herbs. <laughs> and how amazing they are. And so in our chat, just as we were opening up right now, I absolutely loved hearing a bit about your experience with herbs as individuals, really respecting herbs as individuals, working with them as living conscious beings. And I'd love to just start there if you're open to that and hearing a bit about this aspect of the reciprocal relationship with herbs. And so can you tell us what you mean by this when you talk about being in a reciprocal relationship with herbs? Yeah, I would really love to talk about that. <laughs> um, well, when I first studied herbalism, I had the idea that I was going to work really hard and learn as much as possible about the incredible properties of herbs and how they can help people. And then I thought to myself, I'm going to, once I qualify, I'm going to use those herbs to help people get better. And that was kind of like the way that I saw my work in those days. And I started my practice and it was all, you know, it was so thrilling to be qualified. And I, I started treating patients and they were improving and it was really amazing. But quite quickly, I became a bit uncomfortable about the idea that I was using the herbs to help people get better. It felt a little bit disrespectful. It felt exploitative. And also I thought, who am I to kind of, herbs are so incredible and so filled with qualities that we can't even imagine. You know, we cannot possibly put ourselves in a position of thinking, well, I'm going to use this herb and it's going to do this. You know, we, we are facilitators. So I soon changed my way of describing my work at first, I went through a phase of thinking, well, I don't want to say I'm using them to help people get better. I'm going to say that I work with them to help people get better. And I do still use that term quite often because it, it feels more 
like colleagues really but you know a lot of the time I actually now feel as though I'm working for them I I feel as though I am helping them reach the people that need them and hopefully helping people to see them in a more respectful way and so in that sense I hope that I am in their service and helping them but in return I get so much incredible support from the herbs without them and I'm not talking about taking them as a medicine I'm talking about just being around them making medicine from them growing them being in a room full of bottles of tinctures and herbs you know there's a real energy and there's a real wisdom that you can't help but to tap into and uh, that nourishes me and grounds me and being a medical herbalist it's not all flouncing through fields with a basket of flowers although it is lovely when (laughs) when I do that but there are some more challenging and potentially grueling aspects in terms of hearing you know how much people are unfortunately suffering and it's fantastic how the herbs are able to really hold me and allow me to do my job without becoming burnt out or or drained that they are so nourishing and grounding and I think it's a very healthy relationship that we have together and hopefully it will continue. Amazing and I love what you were just sharing there a little bit about how this experience of being collaborators with the herbs or even working for them. Could you share a little bit more about that, this experience of as the practitioner working with the herbs and then also the patient, how there's this interesting triangle kind of experience that occurs? I think that the way that we view herbs is very much individual. So a herb will show itself in a different way to a different person and as a herbal practitioner I've noticed that this amazing alchemy that happens between the herbs the patient and the practitioner so the three of us come together and magic happens because the way that those herbs are working with that person, with that practitioner, can never be replicated. It is a unique set of circumstances, but yet it is magical. And when the right herbs are prescribed in the right way to the right person, it's really amazing what can happen. So I think, yes, that's, we did mention a little bit about that earlier. And I think it is it is something that I've learned over the years is I, what when I'm, for example, writing about herbs, I know that I can only share my own experience with them. But I hope that other people will resonate with some of what I say and others might think, well, no, I look at them differently. And that's absolutely fine. We all have our own relationship with herbs, don't we? I love that about them. The relationship piece is so, so key, so important. And one of the things that you were mentioning earlier was how herbs have really helped in your own journey to bring these two sides of the scientific, rational, reductive mind in connection with the intuitive knowing that is has been a deep part of your 
lineage going back to your grandmother and I'd imagine beyond that as well. Could you share a bit about that, how you experience that herbs can really be this bridge of in this moment of seeing it as really connecting the two hemispheres of the brain or really helping us to be beings of wholeness? Yeah, I love that. I love your description, <laughs> beings of wholeness. Yeah, my um, maternal grandmother was a very sensitive and psychically developed Celtic, um, Celtic lineage. And I grew up with her dowsing and she was actually a radionics practitioner, which is where you send the energy of a plant, um, just sort of like distant healing, but with a plant. And she was very adept at that. So for me, all of that was just a very normal part of life. But at school, I was quite academic or a bit nerdy. And I really loved studying and going into the scientific studies and biochemistry. And it seemed completely at odds to this more sensitive, energetic side. And I don't know whether there's some kind of race memory that we have about being burnt at the stake, but I think, you know, sometimes our instinct is to hide those sides of ourselves because we're worried that we're going to be singled out as being weird or ridiculed or something like that. And I think that for a while, I really wanted to emphasize the more scientific side of herbs and how I worked with them. But that you can't squash that sensitive side, you know, it, it comes into everything. And I used to think that being a herbal practitioner was really in some respects, a cover story for being being a healer. You know? <laughs> but actually what's happened, I really, is that the herbs have allowed me to feel comfortable with both sides of relating to them. It's perfectly fine to be intrigued by their composition and how their constituents can help us by, in a biochemical way. But it's also perfectly fine to relate to them in a very intuitive way and the two go together so well it's like the herbs are a bridge between these two potentially dualistic ways of viewing them but yeah they don't need to be categorized in that way they just are as they are you know and uh, it's absolutely amazing so I'm very grateful for that being able to feel more comfortable with these two let's not call them two sides, let's call them a continuum. <laughs> yeah, the spectrum of experience, absolutely. Could you tell us a bit more about, about your connection with your grandmother, with the plants early in this life? Did you come into this life being a plant person? Is it something that you came into a little bit later in life? How was that experience? I would love to say I was born with my hands in the soil, but we all know that would be a massive exaggeration. <laughs> but I really was always happiest around plants and even as quite a young child you know I just wanted to to mess about and grow things and I was given a small patch of ground to grow what I wanted and I think my parents imagined that I was going to grow you know some pretty flowers and things but all I wanted to grow was herbs 
that was all I wanted to grow and I would make little potions out of them and I was clearly just really drawn to that side of things and I, I vividly remember that I I won some sort of school prize when I was younger and it was the school did this system which I think was probably quite sensible where they got you a book token and then you could choose the book that you wanted and then they would stick some kind of plate in in the front saying that you'd won this class prize and I remember you know I was quite young and I chose a herbal as being my prize and somebody said to me you can you can't choose a herbal as your school prize and I said yes I can that's what I want (laughs) I've still got that book actually (laughs) that is amazing how old were you when that happened I think I was probably about 11 or something (laughs) I really wanted yeah that's incredible was there an herb that that you recall that was really the first herb that you felt connected to or or sparked or inspired by when you were a kid I think rosemary probably featured quite heavily because you know it's such a a herb that's you know commonly grown in gardens and and we always had a rosemary bush wherever we were and I just used to sit there and smell and it's just so welcoming and I wouldn't want to offend the others by saying that rosemary was my favorite but I it's one that I remember hanging out with when I was younger I love that thank you for sharing that and I love hearing about your experience of coming from the Celtic healing lineage and that you also work with Tibetan medicine and so I was curious if we could hear a bit more about that Really, how did you come to be an herbalist who works with Tibetan medicine and combines this with Western herbal medicine? It's such a unique, this bridging aspect I feel so, so strongly in your work in many realms. And this is a big one. Yeah, I've always been really fascinated with Tibet and Tibetan Buddhism. Um, I found out more about it by reading Heinrich Hara's book Seven Years in Tibet that was the first book I read about Tibet and once I read that I was absolutely hooked and I read as much as I could about Tibet and it was only really a matter of time before I decided to pursue Tibetan Buddhist culture and tradition and I found myself after doing some Zen Buddhist practice for about 10 years. I actually went to Sami Ling Tibetan Centre in Scotland. And it's Sami Ling is the first Tibetan monastery that was created in the West. It was created by Akong Rinpoche and Trungpa Rinpoche. Um, It was just an amazing experience because I walked into this place and it just felt so right and I felt so at home and I was instantly I instantly knew that I needed to formally take refuge as a Tibetan Buddhist and I was lucky enough to be able to have this teacher Akon Rinpoche and I was so so impressed by the way that his students behaved and I always think that a teacher you can choose a teacher based on their students you know a lot of the time if their students are amazing people you think that teacher must be really really amazing 
So I was totally hooked and totally taken with the whole Tibetan Buddhist thing. And soon after I first started practicing, there was the opportunity came along to study Tibetan medicine with this incredible master, Kempo Truru Tsenam. And he was the professor of the Lhasa Mensakang. He was the high lineage holder for Tibetan um, medicine practice. And it was just going to be the chance of a lifetime that this dozen or so Westerners were going to have the opportunity to study with this teacher. And of course, the, the sub sort of text of this was that because of the political situation in China, the, the way that Tibetan medicine could be taught within China had shifted over the years. And by inviting him to the West, there was a very precious opportunity to receive the teachings in perhaps a different way that was no longer able to be taught. So I just thought this is something that I really, really have got to do, especially with all my fascination with herbs and, and healing. And so I just thought, wow, I'm really gonna, going to do this. And I went and asked my teacher, because you had to apply to join the course. And I went and asked him. And I kind of just thought, expected that I'd be able to do it. And he just said, no. And I was really gutted because I wasn't expecting that, which just shows how naive I was, really. You know, I look back on it and I think he's quite right to have been very choosy about who was going to be on this course. So I was a bit disappointed, to put it mildly, because I thought this isn't really what, how this story is supposed to go. So a couple of months later, I managed to get a second interview with him because it's quite difficult to see, to take up a llama like that. You don't really get to see them face to face every single day. So I had a second interview with him and kind of asked about a few things and then slid in the question about like, you sure there isn't any chance of me doing this Tibetan medicine course? And he said, no, you can't because I want the students who take the course to already be qualified in another discipline, another medical discipline. So you can't do it. So I have to say, I went away from that meeting and I did cry because I just thought, oh, this is I feel like I'm supposed to do this and why am I not being able to do it? And I, I reflected on it and I still had, there was still about another two months to go before the course was due to start. So I mulled it over and I just thought, you know, there are a lot of Tibetan Buddhist stories about people having to ask three times for things. This is what I convinced myself. There are actually, but, you know, <laughs> I convinced myself that I was... It's, it's another way of proving your commitment. And anyway, I talked myself into asking for a third time. And it was really nerve wracking because I thought if he says no again, I, that's it. I absolutely can't do it again. And I don't want him to sort of think, oh, she's such a nuisance pestering me with this thing. So I went in um, quite nervous, really. And I just said, look, I feel so drawn I feel like I'm supposed to do this I can't stop 
thinking about it, I realize what an incredibly precious opportunity it is. I take it very seriously. I'm not going to waste it. And I will do anything. You know, I will do anything if it helps to convince you that I will be able to do this course. And he said, okay. And I thought, oh, I'm in, I'm in. He said, okay, but if you do do it, I want you to commit to studying a Western herbal medicine, qualifying as a Western herbalist after the course, and then opening a clinic where you treat patients combining the two. And that is the entire reason why I do what I do, because I made a deal with my spiritual teacher. And I take that pretty seriously. And I think I've managed to do it. But I have to say, in a way, that being knocked back like that was the best thing that could have happened to me because it made me so determined to do it and so stubborn to carry on and try to do it. And it's been a great, great thing for me. So I'm very, I am very grateful. But at the time, it was shocking, (laughs) shockingly tough (laughs) to cope with being rejected like that. But anyway, yeah, I run a clinic now in the high street. I see patients and I do combine Tibetan medicine with Western herbal medicine. But probably my main therapeutic, um, my prescribing would be mostly with Western herbs. But I combine the kind of ethos of in Tibetan medicine, diet and lifestyle must be considered first before herbs. So that is a big thing in my practice. Well, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing about that and just honor your journey, the winding journey with plants. But sometimes it can it can be quite that the path is not linear very often. And so thank you for sharing that. And incredible how you have studied with such depth both of these frameworks and that you walk in such a deep relationship with the plants and I love hearing about how at this point you're bringing in the ethos of the Tibetan medicine into the work with Western herbalism. I was curious if you could tell us a bit more about that too. Like, How do you see the Tibetan medicine framework really informing your work with the Western herbalism framework? Because it's it seems like such a special combination that you used that word alchemy earlier. That's like such a special brew or stew of offering medicine. There are so many aspects to this, but one of the most important ones is that in Tibetan medicine, I mean, I just mentioned it previously about how important diet and lifestyle are. And in actual fact, it's considered to be unethical to treat a patient with herbs if you haven't considered diet and lifestyle. And that's one thing. Then the other thing is that in Tibetan medicine, herbs are considered like sacred nectar, that they should be deeply respected and not wasted. So here you get a whole different vibe really about herbal medicine. Let's take an example. If somebody comes to me and they say, I've got really dry, itchy eyes and I suffer with habitual constipation, The first thing I have to ask you is, are you drinking enough water? And 
it might sound like a really simple thing, but I'm not going to just give that person a herb for constipation and an eye wash for their eyes if they're not drinking enough water, uh, because that feels like I'm not really respecting the herbs and I'm asking them to do something which doesn't really make sense. So I feel a big responsibility to, in a lot of cases, it might sound odd, but in a lot of cases, I'm thinking, I don't want to prescribe herbs. I want to see how somebody does with their diet. And then when the herbs help that person, they can really make a difference. Because the other way of respecting herbs is that I don't want people to say, oh, well, I tried that herb and it didn't work. Right. So, you know, it's part of me honoring them is that I want them to have the best conditions to show how much they can help. And I think that is very influenced by Tibetan medicine. So there's that whole sort of respect side of it. But then on a therapeutic level, you know, without me going into too much detail, because it, it would take ages and I'm, brevity is not my strong point. But I, the, uh, Tibetan medicine works on a humoral system. So it's very holistic. And I think that with some patients, they are much more comfortable with a more biochemical kind of analysis and diagnosis that they might have been given by their doctor. And that's absolutely fine. But other times, there are so many times when patients come to me and they are immensely frustrated by the fact that they have all these distressing symptoms and no one has ever been able to link them together or to explain it. And they may have been sent away from their physician with you know, this is all in your mind, you need to take, you know, these antidepressants. And it's, it's very disheartening to feel so unwell, to feel out of control, and not to understand why. And in those cases, Tibetan medicine is exceptional at being able to link and explain on a constitutional level. And that is very empowering, because People come away from their first consultation and they very often say to me, you have made me understand something that I haven't been able to understand for 15 years. And my aim in describing the etiology of their illness in terms of Tibetan medicine is that I think it's very empowering because people can feel like I really get it. I understand now what is going to make me feel worse and what is going to counteract my illness. And by looking at it, and I call it changing the person's health narrative, actually. So instead of being told, oh, well, you've got this and you're going to have to live with it. Um, I'm saying you have this humoral imbalance and these are the lifestyle factors which have contributed to it. And you've unwittingly done that because you didn't realize but now we can change that and you will see the difference and it's just incredible when people come back and they say I've just made such a difference I've been able to I understand how I need to eat and how I live my life has really made a difference to how I feel and I do prescribe herbs as well I think we need to come to a relationship and understand our health uh, before we feel able to do something about it so yeah Tibetan medicine I mean it is it isn't a beautifully sophisticated 
an amazing system and uh, you know obviously I'm hooked on it but I love that some of the herbs are actually you know the same ones we prescribe both in Tibetan and in Western medicine so it is lovely to have that familiarity with some of them. That is amazing is there anyone coming to mind right now that you've worked with recently or over the years that comes up? Yes I mean I'll tell you that I went to Amdo for two summers to study the plants that were growing on the mountains um, in Amdo, because I think you'll you'll totally get this, that it was very difficult for me to connect with some of these plants that we were learning about. You know, you've never seen them, you've never touched them, you've maybe got an image in a book. But when I went out to Amdo and we camped at 4,000 metres on a mountainside and there was a massive storm in the night and I thought, wow, this is really what it's like to be close to the elements. <laughs> I was left quite an impression on me. But the plants, it was just so amazing to, to see the plants and to touch them and to say hello to them. And one of the ones that was there was mugwort. And it was just everywhere. And I thought, oh, I I feel at home. You know, I've got my mugwort here. I'll never forget that. The scent of mugwort and yak dung was everywhere. And when I got back home, I opened my case and it was smelt of yak dung and mugwort, which I love. I think I've got an emotional connection to that combo. But I don't actually wear it as a perfume, so don't worry. (laughs) That is amazing. Wow, that is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And just the whole relationship piece, how important that is, how important that is to really bring it out of the textbook and into the lived experience. And first of all, of course, on a personal level, love that you shared that about Mugwort. Thank you. So awesome. And also what you were sharing about earlier, how herbs are considered sacred nectar. They should be respected and not wasted. Absolutely. I really, really feel that so deeply as well. And you mentioned earlier as well that you grow and gather your own herbal medicine. And so I was curious if you could share a bit about how does this factor into your work with herbs as herbs are considered sacred nectar in your experience with growing, gathering, processing your own herbal medicine? I'm so glad you asked me that. (laughs) Well, I think Anybody that starts to work hands-on with herbs, you can't help it, but you just build up that connection with them. And it is inevitable that after, let's say, if you've picked a basket of calendula flowers that you've grown from seed and you've picked them and you've taken them back home and laid them on a tray and dried them, and checked that they're properly dried. I mean, personally, I use a dehydrator, but you've done all of this effort and process. And then when they're thoroughly dried, you've carefully stored them in a airtight container and you've kept it away from the light. Now, having done all of that, you you are invested in making sure that that medicine is not wasted. You can't help it. It means a lot to you that you've put so much of your heart and soul and mindfulness. When I'm working with my medicines, I like to recite uh, healing mantras. I like to put intention into them. It's completely optional, but I think we all relate 
in our own way. And for me, that just helps me to really respect the process and the medicine. And so once you've done all of that, you can't accept that someone's just going to, oh, well, I left the lid off and it got wet and sorry, I'm not going to take it. That is a real blow to hear that, especially when you believe that medicines should be treated in a sacred way. And although that example is pretty rare, to be honest, I'm just using it as an illustration to show that once you've grown your own herbs, you really want to make sure that they get the chance to fulfill their healing destiny. They've given themselves up to be medicine. And as people that work with herbs medicinally, we need to ensure that they get to do that. And they get to do that in a way where they're respected. And I think that I'm sure there are many people who have such a deep respect for herbs and they have that whether or not they've grown them. You know, it's not essential to grow them to have that deep respect. But I think that if you do grow them and you're somebody that perhaps hadn't developed that level of respect yet, it just happens without trying. You know, so it's a very good gateway into changing one's relationship with them. And it's really fun and it's great for the environment. So, you know, it is a win-win situation. Amazing. Yeah, I was just feeling that as well. It's a win-win-win, win for all in that situation. So yes, amazing. And to me, that seems so connected to your book a working herbal dispensary, respecting herbs as individuals. I just absolutely love that title. Could you tell us a bit about that? What do you cover in the book and what do you hope people will gain from reading it? Yeah, I wrote it somewhat initially. I was a bit nervous about writing it because I thought that there were lots of herbal books out there and what was I thinking, you know, to add something different. But actually... A lot of the time we view herbs in terms of what they treat. So people will want to know, oh, what can I take for this? You know, I've got asthma or I've got IBS or going through the menopause. And people always want to know what herb can I take? And I feel that is not really the way to look at them because if we're talking about our best friend and someone says, well, I just want to know what color her hair is. What about her sense of humor and like how compassionate she is and how amazing, you know, it's very two dimensional to just think in terms of this herb can treat that. And at the beginning, when we're first interested in herbs, those are a really great thing to know. I accept that, but I wanted to, provide a platform so that there was a chance to see how multifaceted herbs are. And even if we all have a different way of relating to them, I'm sure there are things that, that I will write about a herb where some people will think, yeah, I, I knew that already and I didn't know this, or other people think, well, I disagree, you know, it's going to be, I think it should be in another way. But 
by describing all the different virtues, one gets a kind of more rounded view that these herbs will work in different ways in different people. It, it's this alchemy that we talked about before. And I, I hope that my book, by going through, I go through 108 herbs that I work with in my dispensary. And actually, somebody said to me, oh, why is it 108? Is that the number of herbs that exist? And I said, no. I probably work with 400 herbs in here in my clinic, but 108 is a sacred number in Tibetan Buddhism. So I originally decided that I was going to write about 54 of them because I thought that was quite enough. And my husband said, oh, that's a bit rubbish. You can't just do 54 and then do a second volume. You ought to do 108. And I thought about it and I thought, he's right. He's right. I'm going to do 108. And my goodness, it was a mammoth task, let me tell you. (laughs) But for each herb that I, it was really difficult choosing the 108 as well. You know, there was so many potential jostling for position but I chose 108 that I wanted to have some more tropical herbs um, a lot of course a lot of western herbs that I would work with but also spices and herbs that are uh, more prescribed in Tibetan medicine such as cardamom or cloves or things like that so there's sort of good spread and then for each herb I talk about virtues You won't find me saying how they are used, because I think that's a little bit exploitative. But I talk about their virtues. I talk about how they're viewed in Tibetan medicine. I give the Tibetan name and the different aspects that are mentioned in the texts. I talk about history, folklore and magic. Um, I give case studies of examples of where I feel that herb has really influenced a patient's prescription. And I also give recipes that people can make for their own home apothecary. So it was this quite, I've always got a lot to say about things, but I, I wanted to really try to bring them to life and also make, write about them in a way that people could start straight away actually working with them holistically in a way that is respectful and not just this herb for that condition. Um, So it was quite difficult getting that balance, but I think that I have managed to do it. (laughs) Well, it sounds incredible. I can't wait to read it. And so tell us, how can people find out more about you and your work? How can they access the book? And then also, I know that Aeon Books, the publisher is offering a discount code on the book for a limited time as well. So if you could tell us about that, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. So first of all, my you can find out a lot more information about me and a bit about my books on my website, which is www.mirobolanclinic.com. I'm also on social media, on Instagram as at Mirobolan Clinic, all one word strung together. And I'm on Facebook as Mirobolan Clinic, funnily enough. So no surprises there. Um, so the book is available through Eon Books and you can go onto their website, which I'm sure will be linked underneath this. And there is a discount code that's available for a short amount of time after this is aired. And that's 20% off. And Eon offer free postage within the UK. 
Um, so have a look and see if you are outside the UK and if postage costs are going to be a bit higher, you might find it works out better to order through one of the bigger online retailers, the one beginning with A, for example. <laughs> have a look at what works for you. And it would just be lovely to know that my words are reaching people that can appreciate them. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Lucy, thank you so much. You're clearly such an ambassador for the plant realm. I feel such a sense of clarity and direct connection in your work with the plants as you're joining us today and just so appreciate your work and have so much gratitude for you joining us today. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And it's, I feel like, you know, we've got so much in common. It's been absolutely lovely. So thank you very much indeed. And thanks so much for listening and joining us today on the Plant Spirit Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and please follow to subscribe, leave a review and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.